Hi, how you doing? Have you ever watched professional sport? Have you ever wondered what goes into being a professional sports person? The training, the nutrition, the recovery, the rehab, all of that stuff, how structured life must be. Have you ever considered what it's like transitioning from that lifestyle into the general civilian population at the end of a career? Well, today we are lucky enough to be able to delve into that exact occupational transition. Some of you may remember Jesse when he and his lovely wife Carleen came on a few episodes ago, I think it was about a year ago, uh, to talk about their business, Sense Rugby. And Jesse was kind enough to come and have another chat with me about this topic that greatly interests me, this occupational transition between professional sports person into the general population. So without further ado, let's kick off this episode. G'day and welcome to Occupy, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. In this podcast, my aim is to explore anything and everything to do with OT. We will look at the people that make up the profession, the people that this profession works with, along with contemporary news topics and dilemmas that the profession is facing along the way. If you enjoy this podcast, please do share it with your colleagues, friends, your grandmother. I don't mind. I'm sure she'll get something out of it as well. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Um, yeah, so I was just keen to get your perspective because obviously it's a unique perspective that not many other people usually get to, I guess, see or hear firsthand. Um, my big interest area is those sort of big transitions from, you know, occupations or even roles and then big shifts and sort of how people navigate those big shifts and the, the different things that happen during those. And I think the, I mean, coming from, I guess, a sporting background, the transition from professional sport into everyday life, it's something that has always interested me. But again, a lot of people don't get the the chance to, I guess, see that. They go, oh, you know, there's you know, former Australian swimmers or whatever it is, but they don't see sort of how they got from A to B. And I know mm. there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And I was, yeah, I was just curious to, to I guess, tap into that a little bit more with you and see it from, yeah, I yeah. guess, from an OT perspective, try and see if there's uh, things that we can pull from it for people to learn from. And I'm just curious as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me... It's been probably everything anyone's ever spoken about it. It's all the cliches in that, you know, it's super hard going from professional sport and that environment and then coming back into the real world. And, you know, people say that elite athletes are sometimes babied and don't have real life skills um, outside of it, which, yes, I have found some of that in the way that where everything we did was so regimented, it's super structured, like, we go from point A to point B, point C, and that's all planned out for us. Um, so everything we do um, is so it, it's it's all it's all there for us. Um, so in that way, yeah, it's been hard to find. I guess find my way in a world where I have so much freedom now. Um, yeah. You know, I have freedom to be able to plan out my days um, however I like, um, do my work when I need to do my work or when I feel like I'm ready to do work. Um, but at the same time, not having that structure has been really, really challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess for me, this is, is is a good opportunity to actually learn from you as to why this is how it is. Yeah, yeah. So just, like, <laughs> I guess, for context. So when you so you were contracted with Rugby Australia, playing in the Australian Rugby Sevens team for. Years, like well, ten years. Ten years. Yeah, long yep. time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. So you were sort of in that. That was very much, I would assume, very much part of your identity. You'd been doing it for so long. This is sort of for you. This would have been how things were done. This is just what this is life. This is what life looks like, kind of thing. Absolutely. What what sort of like maybe in a just a, a typical week, maybe not going away for comps, but a typical week. Like what sort of how structured was it? What sort of stuff? What would it look like? Um, so for us, 
generally it's about, uh, it would be between a six o'clock and a seven o'clock start. We check in. So that means we do all our monitoring. So we say, you know, how are our upper bodies feeling, how our back's feeling, how our hammies are feeling, if we've got any tightness, soreness, um, so that the coaches and the um, SNCs can then look at that information and say, oh, well, hold on, we might need to pull him back from a bit of running um, or we might, might need to push him a little bit harder here just so he can get that input um, without injuring himself. So from there, we've got that information. We then go into our um, our prep stage. So go into our rehab or prehab. So I've got a couple of shoulder injuries and stuff like that. So a lot of my stuff is based around um, band work and shoulder strengthening um, to actually get ready for the day. Um, so we then go from there into a team meeting, which can go from anywhere to 30 minutes to an hour and a half, two hours. Um, then we'll get out on the field, try and practice what we've discussed in that session, come back in for lunch, um, then generally go into a recovery session. So we'll get in the ice bath, uh, the hot pools, do some swimming, stretching, all that sort of stuff. And then from there, we generally would go into a weight session in the afternoon and depending on how everyone's feeling or what um, what stage of our training we're at, we could go back on the field to just do some skill-based stuff um, or they might call it there um, and then we do our recovery, um, you know, get our nutrition in and then head, out, head home for the day. Um, so I guess that's probably what a typical day would look like. Um, in, in a pr- fairly standard in-between tournaments um, schedule. And that was every day or every couple of days? So we go, um, it depended on the coaches. Um, so I've obviously been there for a long time. So I've been through oh, a lot four or five <laughs> different coaches. Um, yeah, I was sort of just part of the furniture there, I guess. But um, <laughs> um, most days we'd be in there Monday, uh, most weeks, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, um, Friday, and then sometimes Saturday. So it really was like on terms of the hours that you're in there, it's a full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I was commuting from here for the last two years as well, I was on the 4.30 train from Thoreau Station <laughs> up to Central and I'd walk the uh, five, 5K, I think, from, from Central Station to training. So and I ended up being there or being away from home from about 4.30 to some nights, 8 or 9.30 at night. So it was, it was a lot of hours. Bloody hell. And so I'm assuming, so that was your, the training structure and you mentioned nutrition. I'm assuming all that was laid out for you as well. Yep. Um, they do give you a little bit of freedom in that, in the way that they will give you all the advice, give you the give you the knowledge and what they think you should be doing for your particular body type um, or whether you're trying to lose weight or put on weight. Um, so, yeah, in that way, they, they, they give you the information but don't force it upon you. Um, and to be honest, that was probably... I don't eat bad, but I eat a lot. Yep. Um, so coming out of that system where I was training you know, two, three, sometimes four times a day, coming out of that with the eating habits that I had. <laughs> That's a dangerous I put on, a dangerous. I, think I, was, I, weighed my, I weighed myself three weeks ago and, um, and I was 10 kilos heavier than I play at. Um, and that was <laughs> simply not because I ate bad, but just, just because I ate volume. a lot. Yeah. And then the volume of my training came back. That's yeah. I, I I think, and I, I that reminds me of sort of one of the reasons why I'm interested in this topic is I remember reading an article years ago about Jeff Hugel, uh, the the swimmer mm. who, when he yeah. retired from swimming, I, he was like massive in Australia in the '90s, late eight '90s, mm. went to the Olympics a couple of times, etc. But when he retired, there was all these news articles like a couple of years after he retired about that he'd just blown out and he was like massive. He'd put packed on heaps of weight. And that was when I'd sort of first sort of come to this realization, like up until, you know, he retired, all of that stuff was planned and laid out. And I didn't, like, he probably didn't know how to sort of plan that stuff out for himself because he'd just usually been given a list of here, eat this or here, swim here, do this. You're doing this speed work or this distance work or what, like everything had been sort of carefully planned. And I think that's, even just from a sporting point of view, I don't think a lot of people sort of realise how much it goes into that professional sport. They just think, oh, you know, 
I mean, a lot of people I would not be surprised to think it's like, you know, you're playing your local rugby where, you know, you might train a couple of times a week and then you show up on Saturday and throw your boots on and you, you're good to go, whereas it's really not. <laughs> there's yeah, a, there's yeah. a lot more goes into it. And I guess it's, you know, there's a lot of money in professional sports, so people want to, you know, mm. I guess protect their investment by making the most of the players and that kind of thing, so... Yeah, I think it's it's really hard in some aspects of it where, you know, you're pushing your body to the limits mentally. You're constantly trying to learn new ways to do things. But at the same time, yeah, having that structure and having people constantly telling you where to do, what um, what to do and when to do it, um, it, it does become very easy as well. Yeah, yeah. So also in that time period, so you were playing for Australia uh, for 10 years. In that time period... You got married, you had your little girl, all of that sort of stuff. You started a business um, <laughs> among, you know, whatever else you've done in that decade. How did the that sort of, obviously, if you had no attachments at all, that structure would be a lot easier. And like you were saying, sometimes you were out of the house for, you know, 16 hours a day kind of thing. How did that, how did you find navigating that structure, like, I guess, your job uh, mm. with you know, starting a family and starting a business and all this sort of stuff sort of in that, I'd say, air quotes, spare time that you, <laughs> that you really didn't have a lot of. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I probably had a little bit more time than a lot of the other boys. Um, I um, I didn't go to uni. Um, I started an electrical apprenticeship when I was about 20 years old. Um, got three years into it and then got picked up in, um, in the professional side of sport. So I didn't, didn't ever get back to that. Um, so, you know, when you look at it, I didn't have anything um, uh, from a learning um, learning side. So for me, I had all this spare time to work on Sense Rugby with Carly's guidance and it, it is really something that um, Carly actually was such a blessing for me in so many different ways. Um, because she did help me plan out for life after rugby. For me, I you know I didn't necessarily think about that, and I'm sure a lot of these athletes are the same. Um, so having that commitment to her and the commitment to wanting a family and building a life after rugby um, led us to building Sense Rugby. I think it was actually a little bit at a at a spite towards her that we ended up create, creating it because um, I said, oh, I'd really like to get involved and do this sort of thing and. And um, she was like, well, go on, do it then. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to start an Instagram page and went that way about it. And luckily enough, it got seen by someone that was keen on it and um, we sort of went from there and it just organically grew um, without us thinking about it too much. So we were, we were really quite lucky um, from that aspect. Um, but she's, yeah, she's been, she's been great for me in, in, in that way. Um, she knows me really well and she knows how to get the best out of me. So I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot of gratitude towards her from, from my side of things in how life for me is now panning out. Um, it's still really hard. Um, you know, I do have big ups and downs because when you move out of professional sport, um, it's not just the structure, but it's the people you're around um, day to day as well. Um, I, you know, I consider those boys, my brother's, um, and I know that's super cliche, but um, they do really mean a lot for me. And stepping out of rugby and coming, I guess, into a into an environment um, where I'm not seeing people day to day has been difficult. Um, mm. I'm an introvert. I doubt in my mind, but that um, social out of myself, I like it. I enjoy it. And when I was in footy, I took I took that for granted. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's easy to do as well. Like because it's especially being in it for so long, because it's always been there. You just sort of, like you said, you take it for granted. It's just sort of this feeling that oh, it's it is what it is. That's that's how things are. And then when you get out, I would assume it's like oh wait, that's not necessarily how things are. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I see a lot of this, I see very similar transition, like I've got family in the military and that sort of thing. I see very similar trends. I'm not trying to compare professional sport with being in like the army, but that transition from going to something that is so 
uh, I guess, almost life-encompassing where everything is, you know, so structured and do as you're told and here we go and this is the, this is the job and this is what we're training for and there's like massive purpose, sometimes purpose that's bigger than the individual can see to being out into what they would call civvy life uh, where <laughs> it's, well, realistically fairly unstructured and you sort of make your own day and you make your own thing. I see there's a, there are other instances that other people might relate to that have this very similar transition. And even uh, not necessarily the professional sport, but, you know, if you've played, say, in this example, rugby, since you were a kid, just at a club level, and then, you know, you get a few injuries or whatever and you can't play anymore or something like that. So there are some similar ties there that, you know, something that's sort of always been there and has been a, a staple in your life is now taken away or you're not able to engage in it the way you want to or the way you previously have, um, it, it can have a big impact, especially in those initial stages. And especially if it's probably a little bit different in your case, and we'll get to that in a second, but especially if it's taken away suddenly and there is no planning beforehand, I think it can have mm. a huge impact. Um, I, I see that a fair bit, especially mainly with contact sports because you know, injuries are sort of sometimes part of the game and injuries sometimes can be severe enough to take you out of the game completely. So it's interesting. Um, so you, you said, you mentioned before that you had uh, like you and Carly and had started planning uh, for life after rugby. How, how long, so how long did you retired probably a year, less than a year ago? Uh, probably about six to seven months ago now. Yeah. Yeah. How long before that had you sort of started planning for life after rugby? I think that probably would have been um, the start of probably set, start of sense rugby. Maybe a little bit before that, I'd done maybe some. Um, I'd done an uh, advanced diploma or a business, so I'd started thinking about it, but not really had any particular direction in it. Um, so I probably started planning maybe six years ago, but actually got detailed and directed in it probably when we started Sense Rugby. So that would have been about five, five years ago now. Okay. So when you, so your initial plans were just like, okay, obviously if you did the diploma business, it was like going to do something business wise, don't really know what yet. And then the idea of Sense Rugby came about and you went, that's the one. Well, both of you went, that's the one, let's, let's go down that track. <laughs> um, had you, like how, I guess, how structured was your plans? Had you sort of stepped out like, okay, this is a four-year plan into retirement or it was just I'm going to get this started and then I'm going to keep playing and then whenever this playing doesn't like become viable anymore, then we'll look at the next step or? Yeah, that, that was absolutely it. We, um, we just sort of thought, okay, and, and it was a little bit to sense rugby's detriment, but we looked at it as um, we'll keep doing this and try and hopefully get it to a point where I can step straight into it um, once I've finished rugby. Mm -hmm. But that also allowed me to focus on my rugby um, wholly and not be distracted too much by sense. I would do what I can when I could, um, but by no means was I was I bound to it? Yep. Um, so for me, it's a, it's been a big learning curve because I've gone from um, from focusing on sense rugby, uh, sorry, on, on my own rugby career, and then stepping into sense rugby and having to basically take over the reins from Carly. So it has been a big learning curve there for me. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's been enjoyable, and yeah, I think um, yeah. Sorry, no, <laughs> <you're> lost. <laughs> So, so, uh, so you and Carly having the discussion, like, okay, I'm done with rugby. Rugby's finished. What was your first thought when you went, like, okay, this is it. This is the that decision made. I'm going to get out of rugby. What was your What was your feeling around that initially? Um, we sort of kicked it into hyperdrive, and I, I guess a little bit. We we we're in a fairly unique situation as far as as far as it goes with COVID because it sort of my retirement aligned with that. And it also meant that Sense Rugby was in this period of, well, most of our groups aren't running um, at the moment, but we've got an opportunity to push it along. So, um, yeah, I sort of went from 
from my own rugby career and then just went, okay, go, like try and get everything um, in place and try and get sense rugby moving along um, as well as we can in, in this sort of time. Um, I think if if it had been on my terms, I would have tried. I would have gone to the Olympics. Um, hopefully, played there and then stepped away from rugby. Yep. But because we'd planned for it um, previously, when I when I did get the news that um, I wasn't going to stay there, um, it made it easy because I'd already known I was stepping out of rugby in six months' time anyway. Yeah. Yep. So it just sort of sped things up a little bit for me. Whereas some of the other guys. Um, that did move on from there, just they, they couldn't plan for it. They had no knowledge that they were going to leave. It was just like, all right, guys, um, you know, we can't play any tournaments. Um, you know, you're not going to be wanted if the Olympics is pushed back another year. Yeah. Um, so you're free to go. And that was it. Yeah. You know, there was no, like, there's no planning for them. They weren't able to accomplish their goal or anything like that. It was just like, okay, yeah, you know, Very go and move on with your life. Yeah. When was the first time that you can remember thinking, oh, wait, this life is way different outside of professional rugby? Or was there anything in particular you're like, oh, man, I've never had to do this? Yeah. Um, I think that there's not anything in particular that I've had to do that is different from the things I've been getting a little bit of a taste of through sense rugby. Um, and even rugby as well. It's it's a great. Um, I think it aligns really well with running small businesses because for me, my job in Sense Rugby is program development and also trying to keep the team together um, from a leadership perspective and making sure we're all making leaps and bounds in the same direction um, and that basically that everyone's happy and cruising along nicely with the program. So that's not too far a leap for from what I was doing anyway. Um, but, yeah, I think um, ha- <laughs> I had a bit of a back injury um, probably about eight weeks ago, um, was doing a deadlift. I'm not sure if I told you, Brock, but um, no, I was doing curious. a deadlift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Halfway, halfway through a gym session, so I couldn't even blame it on, on not being warmed up or anything <laughs> like that. So um was just testing how heavy I was going to go on my deadlift, did a 60-kilo warm-up, picked it up off the ground, got to the top, fine, went to put it down, full back spasm, dropped me to the ground, went down with the weight. And I ended there was a lucky enough there was a dumbbell rack next to me where I sort of pulled myself up alongside and just stood up against the wall, sort of bracing myself on there for for a while, like fighting back tears. <laughs> um had to get Carly to come in and pick me up from um from the gym. And um yeah, I ended up spending about a week and a half in bed on some pretty heavy pain meds and um yeah it was in was in quite a bit of pain so I think for me that was probably the moment where I was like oh shit what do I do now like <laughs> I haven't got my physio I don't walk down the yeah, yeah. Board, uh, have a chat with them and you know they might direct me to the doctor and I might get a scan and you know we'll come back and then all my rehab's going to be planned out for me so I'll be back playing in five weeks it was like <laughs> oh call the, do- do call the doctor yeah yeah, yeah, call a doctor, get it. You know, it's all it's all really, I guess, easy stuff for people that haven't been looked after in that way for such a long time. But for me, I was like, oh shit, who do I call? Like, what what do I do? Um, you know, do I call a doctor or do I go to the physio or what's what's the plan? So no. I had to work all that out for myself. And it seems really, yeah, you know, I feel like a bit of a baby. Saying it was hard for me, but. Um, yeah, it was something. It was something different, and that was probably the moment. Um, yeah, and I guess even the injury probably came from a point of um, I hadn't been getting that same sort of stimulus that I was used to in the way I just trained so hard all the time. So when I stepped up my training a little bit more, yeah, my body just went, uh-uh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. We're not used to this anymore. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you? Okay, here's one. Do you still identify as a rugby player? Yeah, I think if you've probably noticed, um, when I say things, I still talk about it as if I'm still doing it. Yep. Um, whereas the reality is um, there's been eight months where I haven't been part of that program. Um, for me, there is a chance that I might go back to it next year. Um, but 
I don't know if that's just me holding on to something that I've held on to for such a long time mm-hmm. um, or if that genuine love and drive for it is still there. Um, yeah, it's – I think I still do identify as a, as a rugby player um, and I think, I don't know, I, I dare say I'll feel that way for, for a long time. Um, but it is hard when that really um, concrete goal of, you know, I want to go to the Olympics – and win a gold medal yeah. isn't there, but you still identify. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I think, like, I guess from an OT point of view, uh, what we like our occupational role, so like as a rugby player, is literally just that, uh, I guess, a group of occupations together. So it would have been, you know, your training and your physio and your rehab, all of that. Uh, what the you engaging in that is what sort of i guess shaped your identity like i identify as a rugby player because all of these things are together so and i know that for a lot of people when that sort of goes away or they stop engaging it it sort of takes a while for that identity to change it's kind of a bit slow to roll over for some people for for most people so i always find it curious yeah. about whether or not they and a lot of people haven't actually thought about it until i ask them but do you still identify <laughs> as that um, I'm, I'm going to assume that you also identify as a business owner or something like that. Was, yeah, was I think um, I had. I, yeah, that was still the case before. It was rugby was, you know, ninety percent of me. Yep. Um, and then, and then you know the rest was being a family and the yep. rest was sense. So, um, yeah, it was it was a really strong idea in my mind for such a long time. Um, I actually had this conversation with Carly last week and I was thinking to myself, you know, we're eight months down the track here. I'm normally so goal-orientated, but I haven't even stopped to think about what my new goals are and what I'm pushing and who I am as a person outside of rugby um, because naturally when rugby's not there, these other sides of me are going to come out. Um, so I did, I'd sit down for a little bit and got, got into it a little bit and then got quite bored. So I went to the gym <laughs> session. Went and tried some deadlifts. No, I, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> do <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so I went, um, I had to think about it and I've got a few goals that I have in mind for Sense Rugby and me as a family uh, person and a, and, and, a, and a dad and also for me just personally um, trying to push myself in the way that I did through rugby, um, just learning new skills and even a little bit of that adrenaline seeking. Like, you know, when you play on, when you play any level of sport, really, um, you do get that that little hit. And with sevens, it's really intensified because of the way that the tournaments are structured. So we play over a weekend, but we play six games. So mm. for me, the highs and lows within that weekend yeah, it's painful and, yeah, it's hard. Yes, some of the best times ever, but that does get a bit addictive. Yeah. You know, we, play, we have three games a day, so it's like, oh, yes, we just won one. Oh, no, we lost one, you know, and then it's all over the place. But I also wonder whether it's, like, similar to, well, pretty much any sport really is the the competition is the goal that, you, you know, you do all mm. of this other stuff. Like, if you didn't have to train and you could still compete at that level, wouldn't realistically i mean there's, yeah. there's not too many people that are like hell yeah i just love training like it's you're doing <laughs> all of that extra stuff to be able to perform and do amazing at the competition it's the same like i see it in powerlifting like no one likes training really and that's I, i'm generalizing but everyone is in the sport so they can get on the platform and they can compete like that's the the goal and that's mm. if you lose and i've done this if you lose or if the the passion for competing isn't strong enough to get you through the crap, the training that is sometimes really it sucks, then you're yeah. not going to do it. And then you're either not going to you're not going to perform yeah. very well if you do get on the platform, or you're just not going to get on the platform. I yeah. think having those. I think a lot of people, when they think about goals, they're like, oh, it needs to be, you know, the old, what is it, smart goals, or it needs to be small, it needs to be realistic. And I, I, I disagree with that sort of 
format of goal setting. I've done podcasts on that before because I think competing, like if you were say to your goal is to compete at the Olympics, which has now been postponed until 2021 sometime, I don't know what month, but mm. if that was the goal, then that's it. Like you can't really write a smart goal that's going to encompass everything that would need to go into doing that. And then people are like, oh, you break it down into the little ones. And even just listening to mm. what went into your training while you were playing, there you'd have eight million. You spend your day writing smart goals, and you wouldn't actually get anything done. There's that many <laughs> things that actually need to go into it. Whereas if you use mm. the like the goal of the Olympics, for example, as sort of just like a target, and you're just moving towards, say, if your decision making processes are trained to make those decisions to move you towards that target each time instead of, mm. you know, oh, I've got to go one step and then I'm going to go two steps and blah, blah, blah. Then you're going to get there anyway. You're going to get there probably easier with less stress and less, I feel like a lot of people kind of lose that passion when they start pulling things apart too much. It's almost like you mm. see how the sausage is made. So <laughs> if you're going to analyze, like, and I see this a lot in powerlifting, like there's lifters that can overanalyze every little thing and it's almost like, paralysis by analysis they you lose the the passion for it just because you're like i'm sick of like just seeing how every little muscle fiber reacts to every different load that we're putting it under kind of thing it's like i just want to lift have fun in a lot of cases so you're gonna have to send me a link to that (laughs) uh it's just either to the podcast yeah i can do that to to the podcast mate yeah i honestly like hearing you say that it just hit the nail on the head for me for probably the last couple of years of my career um, where it did get, yeah, smart goal, um, all needs to be measurable, blah, 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 whereas that's not how previously I'd done things. I was very, um, you know, this is a big goal. We're just going to take little steps towards it. We're going to yeah. keep moving towards it. We'll eventually hopefully get there. Um, but, yeah, as the Olympics drew closer and we had a coaching change, um, it did become more detail orientated, um, and everything did get broken down. And when you said that, you, you you know you've seen people lose enjoyment because of that. That that sums it up very well. For me. <laughs> and I think like very well. There, there, um, there's other reasons that might happen. Obviously, like you might you know there's yeah. there's obviously stuff that goes on in life outside of that one thing, like outside of your sport that can have an impact on, you know, okay, yeah, I don't feel like training today because, you know, mum's going to the hospital or something, like other life things happen. Or, you know, something more good might have happened too. I don't have to go to a bad example all the time, but you just don't want to be there because something good's happening (laughs) at home kind of thing. Um, But I think when it gets to that sort of ongoing, like I'm just... I don't like you getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I don't want to get on the fucking train at four o'clock in the morning. Like I don't want to be here. Mm. It's dragging and I'm just doing it. Usually when you get to that stage, you're just doing it because of the routine or the habit with the promise of that distant goal again. And again, this can work in your favor because I know like powerlifting anyway, we look at things like CNS fatigue where it can present as low motivation and that kind of thing. And sometimes you just need a bit of a deload mm. in order to sort of recoup that a bit and then you're good, you're back on track. But if that doesn't work, then there's obviously something else that's going on. And it may be yeah. that you're kind of trying to pull things apart too much. It can happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, um, yeah, it's an interesting perspective. It's, um, it probably lines up well with when you're saying about not enjoying the training um, so much. I found myself when I finished, I I stopped training. I didn't I didn't do anything. I was just surfing and um, just wanted to sort of get away from it, refresh my mind, give myself some space from it to think about it. Um, but I found that was worse for me. Uh, it really it really was. Um, and to me, it, it clicked for me that. I don't. I don't necessarily train or work out. It doesn't. There doesn't have to be this goal there. Um, you know, a few of my mates and I are trying to um, figure out uh, what we're going to compete in, just so we can keep a little bit driven. And I kept thinking about it and going over it, and I was. I just went. That's not why I train. Like I train because 
it makes me feel really, really good. Mm. Um, so I like I get a little bit socially anxious, don't like big groups. Um, and, you know, when you work in small business and, you know, sense rugby, like I'm constantly in groups yeah. of people that I don't know. So I need to be on my game to be able to do that stuff. And for me, having a workout in the morning allows me to have conversations with people I don't know. And, I mean, you'll be able to tell me more about why that is. But um, for me, I, I just feel like it regulates me to a point where I can have, I can, you know, I can function. And that's you, simple. You, you've just explained it perfectly there. Regulate you. you. You're using that sort of heavy work or that, that essentially it's almost like hormone regulation, your exercise, in mm-hmm. order to, you know, keep the anxiety at bay or whatever hormones for you are triggering that anxiety. It, it helps regulate that so that it, it doesn't happen. So, yeah, you've, I mean, you, you already know, you've already nailed it. That's why it's, that's why it works. <laughs> and that's why it works for everyone. That's why. You know, exercise, I don't know what the minimum thing recommended is now, like 30 minutes a day or whatever it is. Like that's why it's recommended for people because we're seeing that as people, like generalizing again globally, as the world becomes more sedentary, we're seeing a lot more of these anxieties and that sort of stuff because people aren't regulated. They're not, uh, whereas previously when a lot of, even a lot of jobs used to be a lot more physical, people were Mm. getting that regulation through their job as well. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm perfect example here because like we were talking about earlier, like I'm now working from home and it's the most sedentary job I've ever had. So mm-hmm. I'm lucky in a way because literally through this wall, like five meters is my gym. So like I've got that there so that, and I probably, I don't train in the morning. I usually train in the afternoon. So it's more of a post regulation for me, I guess. But and I'm the same, and I think a lot of people are going to experience this through the whole COVID thing. Is once we come out of it, there's going to be a lot of people that surprisingly didn't have it before, but are going to have some sort of social anxieties. I can guarantee it, just yeah. because they're now conditioned to not have so much social interaction. And those people that are like, yeah. "Yeah, we're free again now," and just dive back into how they used to, I think are going to struggle a bit. It's going to take some yeah. time to then readjust to the new normal again. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, it's crazy time, and I was speaking to um, a couple of friends about it yesterday, and the impact that it's it's going to have on our kids, and not necessarily kids Mika's age, three, four, five years old, but definitely these kids going through high school. Like I just, mm. I feel so sorry for them, and you know, having their formals cancelled, and you know, it might not seem like a big deal to people outside that bubble, but I remember being in high school, yeah, and that was it's a big deal for them. That was, Again, thing that kept me there. Apart <laughs> <laughs> right from sport and, and that, like, I, you know, it was it was a big goal for us, and to have that taken away, and you know, that celebration of everything you've done over the last twelve years, it was, yeah, I, I can imagine. I have a lot of empathy for those kids going through that. It's gonna it's gonna be tough. But even that, like, that's a perfect example of what we've been talking about as well. Is that there? There's normally, whether they go from high school to uni or into a trade or into just work or whatever they're doing, that's a big change. Like That's a big transition, especially for someone who's, you know, usually just sort of still either progressing or making their way out of puberty where hormones are like out of whack anyway. And those sort of anxieties and that sort of stuff are usually present in some form or another anyway. And then we're going to throw this transition, which is always there and kids navigate it mm. with various success depending on the kid and their mm. their environment but now that used to be fairly predictable like we knew that was coming mm. okay so you you know that school is going to end like it's not like you're going to get to the end of school and go oh no surprise there's another year uh we know <laughs> it's going to end so most kids are at least making plans like they're applying for university they're applying for trades they're looking for work if they're not already working and they might be, you know, organized that they're going to go full time once they feel like there's, there's plans that get it put in place. Mm. And then having such a big change worldwide, that kind of, even though the, the date is still the same, like when they're going to finish school, the, the way it's going to happen and all of the plans that they've put in place are going to have to change. That itself can have a big impact. Like you said yourself, like yeah. the, the other guys that you played with that 
uh, maybe hadn't been thinking about it, and then all of a sudden have just been told because of the COVID stuff like that that you're not you're not needed. I think how they would adjust to it compared to how you've adjusted to it would again be quite different. With again yeah, varying yeah, levels absolutely. of success, I assume. Yeah, I, I guess with uh, some of those other boys as well, though, they they're probably a little bit younger than I am, and um, they had that focus and that dream to still be a professional rugby player. So for them, I guess with team sport and and professional sport in general, it can be a little bit unpredictable in the way you know you have injuries or you know the team the team doesn't need you or the coach doesn't like you or whatever you get cut. That's yeah. it. And then when you still have that dream of being a professional player, then you still do have that goal. And we've had guys um, that have gone from sevens um, and not necessarily, you know, they've been moved on because they're not needed for the Olympics, but have picked up these, um, you know, really good deals in in other countries, in other teams um, because of the experience they've got with the sevens um, and it being a a well-regarded program. Um, of professional players. So I think just because you lose that sevens dream and that Olympic dream, mm. if you've still got that dream of being a professional rugby player, it's still sort of the same. For me, it was, you know, it was, I still, there's still part of me that wants to play professionally. There's a big part of me that knows that now's the time for sense rugby yeah. and now's the time to focus on being a good um, a good dad and a good husband and um, giving that some time um, because when you play professional sport, it it's selfish. Like it, it really is. Um, and I knew that when I was doing it and it makes it harder to do it as well, especially once you have kids. Um, when you're dedicating so much time to something outside of the things that you say matter to you most. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's been a very interesting transition and a lot of lot of learns out of it anyway. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting too, like with the like say some of the younger guys who just still have that like I want to play professional rugby. I I think if that hasn't been on the radar that they're not going to, then there's there's no plans around it. And I think I, I've heard like various stories. That there's uh, don't bother reading it the most boring book ever but if you ever do read michael jordan's biography horrifically written but quite interesting in a way um he talks about the fact that he never had a plan b like that was it like the Mm. only way he could perform at that level was because he gave himself no choice and i feel like for a lot of especially i would say high impact sports where you really are putting your body on the line when you're Mm. in the thick of it you probably almost need a mindset like that. Like I need to make this work. Like you get a little, you know, you'll get niggles and sore bits every game, every training session, there's little bits and pieces. And unless you, for some people, like for your average club player, they'd be like, Oh, I'm out. I'm I'm injured. I'm sore. This is too much. I can't do this. I'm always broken. That was me probably. (laughs) Um, But I think if you like are that determined that, this is going to work, then you're going to find a way to make it work. Similarly, I think if you, like, I don't think the issue, not issue, but I don't think the thing with you is that uh, you've sort of lost that love for rugby or anything. I think it's more that you've just, your priorities have shifted. So now family and sense is just a higher priority than professional rugby and all that is needed to go into it. I think if you could, I think if you could continue doing professional rugby but still keep that as your priority, you would. That's my yeah. that's my impression. But, yeah. and I think you know this as well, if you were to do that, you wouldn't be, uh, I guess you wouldn't have that mindset that was needed to do the best in professional rugby by keeping that priority the way that it is now. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right in saying that. Um and for me, Meeks in in the first year, that was like you know, she was my 
um, she was my inspiration. Like it was like, I want to go out there, I'm going to do this for her and I'm going to make, you know, I want her to be really proud of me as a dad and the stuff that, that I achieved. And um, when she was below one year old, that was fine because, yeah, yeah. you know, she wasn't necessarily missing me or anything like that or she wasn't crying when I left or, you know, got on the airplane, whatever, for the two or three weeks that I was away at a time. <clears throat> and I think when when they can verbalise that and when they can show you how they're feeling, it does, it becomes a different beast. It becomes really bloody hard to leave them because, yeah, yeah. you know, she'd literally be hanging on to me as I'm walking out the door going, Daddy, don't leave. Um and that's tough. Like yeah, it rubs it in your face, and and when they're younger, it's it's okay because they can't do that. They might be feeling it, but they can't show you that. Yeah. Um. So when it was able to be shown, it was like, oh, that changes things. Is this the right thing for us? Yeah. Is this? You know, I want to make her proud, and I want to do the right things, but is that the most important thing, or is it to be a really present dad for her? Um. And I think ultimately that that was it for me. I, I needed to make sure that I was there for her and able to, um, yeah, to be really really present present dad. And I think this is like this is a question I get a lot from students as well. Is with regards, and I'm going to go down a different track with this one, uh, with regards to value system and how that impacts what we do and how we priorities prioritize things. Because a lot of people might assume that that change that you've just gone through, like we we're talking about before, with the shift in priorities is because of a shift in values where I don't think it is. I think the values are still the same. So you still have this value that you want to be a great dad. You still might have that competitive value. It's still there. Um, you you still have the value to be a great husband and you still have the value to uh, set up the business to be able to be fulfilling for you and provide for your family, et cetera, et cetera. I think all of that stuff is still exactly the same. But like you just described, the context that you're operating in has changed, which is what changed yeah. your priorities. So the the fact that now you feel guilty for leaving, <laughs> she's playing the guilt card on you so that you don't mm. leave, that's that's changed. So I don't think, so I, just I guess as a, a teaching point for, for some people, it's not necessarily that your value system has changed. I still, and the evidence is that sort of once you hit early 20s like your values tend to be more especially your core values tend to be more you know cemented in and that's it for for life you spend your teenage years and your early adult years sort of developing what those values are going to be and then once you hit that age they're kind of concreted in that doesn't mean yeah. that your priorities are never going to change they can still change within that value system it's just that say for example with the the staying at home and knowing that your daughter was going to be okay um Previously, like you said, because she can't verbalize it, then technically the way your brain processes that is I'm not doing anything against my value system. I'm not, it's not impacting my ability to be a good dad by going on these trips. Mm. Afterwards, when she's able to say, no, daddy, don't go, all of a sudden now, it's the same value system, but your brain's going, okay, she doesn't want me to go. Now that's impacting, or now that's either coming closer to or going against something that I really value and now that changes my priority so that's I just I guess for people listening that's kind of how I see and how how a lot of the evidence sees um, how that works where just because your priorities change doesn't mean that your your values themselves are changing it's just the the context in which those values are enacted yeah just all it all looks a little bit different yeah yeah exactly mm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, this has been really great for me, Rock. <laughs> that's it. That's... I don't even have to pay for therapy. How good? No, that's it. See, you're surrounded by OT, so you, yeah. you get this from all sides now. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, definitely do. We've got a we've got we do have a good network of people and some <laughs> some of my best friends down here are OTs as well as Carly being an OT. So it's yeah, it's nice to always have their perspectives on it. And did I hear your studying? Something. I was <clears throat> I was studying to become a TA. Um, I still am. It's been slow. It's been a really slow grind for me. Um, but yeah, for for sense to be where I need it to be, and how much 
I feel accountable to the people that run the program. Right now, that needs to be my focus and any other time that I get, I will try I try and spend on it. But at the moment, it's just making sure that um, that sense is, yeah, kicking goals. And we've got a few few big, big things um, coming up very soon, which is, um, yeah, really exciting. I'll, I'll, um, I'll let those particular OTs do their announcements and stuff <laughs> like that, but some it's every very, time, very every exciting. Every time I talk to you, something. Last time I talked to you, you were just about to branch into New Zealand. Every time I talk to you, something big's happening. It's exciting. I like it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's been a lot. Um, yeah, it's um, – I, yeah, I think when you get so stuck in doing these things, I'm glad you put, put that out there because um, – Sometimes I, I just get stuck in this world of like doing all these things and nothing seems to be happening and then you make a comment like that and I think back on it and go, oh, yeah, we've accomplished a bit in the yeah. last few months. That's, that's, that's uh, that, Again, that's normal. Sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees, especially when you're that close to it. Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. it hard to sort of measure progress. So, yeah, seeing it from a, an outsider's perspective and I think that's one of the reasons, that's one of the things that you can really use uh, like your social media for. I, that's one reason I use it or one of the things I use it for is I love seeing like, I mean, there's a lot of trash on there, but sometimes in your, like your Facebook memories or something, it comes up and you're like, oh, so like four years ago I was doing this. Like, you know, I remember that or that was so long ago or whatever. So even just for that, I think it looking at what happened on a day, and I think you can do it on Instagram as well sometimes. I don't know how, but yeah. I'm pretty sure you can. But it's, yeah, it's like it cuts through all the other shit that's happened and it just says, like, this is what was happening four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, et cetera, et cetera. That's one, one of the, probably the, one of the only reasons I still have Facebook because it's, it's just interesting to see <laughs> sort of what was happening. And even yeah. some of the, like, embarrassingly, some of the things that I thought 10 and 11 years ago and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm glad I, <laughs> glad I actually grew out of that or just whinging about traffic yeah, and yep, stuff. I'm like, there are much bigger issues in the world than me whinging about traffic on Facebook 12 years ago or whenever it was. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, that's also, awesome. Yeah. So what's, so with Sense, so I can't remember how many you said, how many different groups. Obviously things are sort of a bit different at the moment. Are you groups, the in-person groups up and running in New South Wales at the moment or? Yeah, so um, we've got – I did the math on it the other day. We've got 35 groups um, of practices in Australia running. Uh, sorry, not right now. But, yeah, yeah, but um, signed up. Pre-COVID, yeah, yeah. we had 35. At the moment, we've got 12 groups that are actually running. So obviously our, um, our Melbourne one has had to shut down completely. Yeah. All our Queensland run, um, are running – fine and uh, they're going really well because you guys have got your own little bubble up there. Well, for um, now. For now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for now. Um, and then there's a few in New South Wales and the, and the Western Australia ones are, are running too. Um, so, yeah, it's been it, it's been a really tricky time but it's also been a really nice time to be able to refine some of our, um, our goals and also the processes that we have um, and just a really good time for me to learn it because it is a little bit slow. Bombarded with you know, hundreds of questions a day. It's yeah, just yeah. the 11 groups that are sort of running and a few other ones getting in touch with me every now and then. So, um, yeah, in that way it's been a really positive thing to have that slow injection into it. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it, I just I find a lot of purpose in it and, and I really enjoy working with the people I get to work with. So, for me... <laughs> There couldn't be a better space space to be, to be honest. But I think even that, I'm, I'm fairly sure when we did the last episode, there was only like maybe, um, for some reason in my head, I'm thinking like 12 to 15 groups. Yeah. Like you've yeah. almost <laughs> doubled in size. Since yeah. that time. Now, the last, um, the last sort of two years, it's just sort of gaining momentum with, you know, we've got a team of fantastic OTs that get to look the same picture all together um, different areas of Australia and New Zealand now um, so it's been a, it's we've been able to grow the program um, grow the reputation of the program having these you know 
fantastic OTs in Australia um, involved in the program, <clears throat> then, you know, other people are seeing it and going, oh, these guys are getting really good results with that program. And there's these really, really good OTs using that particular program. Um, so I think the growth in the last two years is, um, has really intensified because of that, not because of anything that Carly or I are necessarily doing, but simply because of how um, our OTs um, are looking at the, pro- at the program. Yeah, but you built that program. So don't like, yeah, don't I know, completely sell yeah. yourself out of that. Like, claim it. Yeah, own it. There's yeah. no place for being humble in this podcast. It's just own it. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I'll take that as a note. I'll learn, I'll learn from that. <laughs> and how long till we uh, see a, a Sense Rugby conference now that you've got that many OTs working on? Doing yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we have our, yeah, we have our, um, you know, our online ones where we try and get everyone together. Um, as much as we can on, on Zoom and that. Uh, and they're, they're good, but at the same time, there's just too much information at once to do online. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm looking forward and, and I know Carly really wants to get some up and running where we can get, um, you know, some of the good, greater minds outside of OT, you know, looking at the physios and the, yeah. um, and the speeches and the psychologists and, and getting everyone involved on it. Um, on a larger scale so that we can come at it from all different angles, not just necessarily an OT rugby and, and there's a few speeches and physios that we have um, within it. So um, it's really exciting and um, I, I hope that we can just keep tracking the way we are, um, keep growing the program and hopefully spread it or spread it around the world. That's awesome. Uh, what else? Is there anything else we need to cover? I wrote some notes this morning, but yeah. yeah. What have you got? What have you <laughs> got? Just having a chat. <laughs> no, you can t- yeah, we can go through your notes. What do you What do you know? No, no, what no, have no, you no. got? I'm curious yeah. now. I'm gonna have a look, um, but I don't think. Yeah, look, we, we asked the right questions, and we and we got through got through a fair bit. Um, oh, there's one where I spoke about how good surfing is, but we don't have to touch. We can, we can we can speak. I don't know anything about okay. surfing, so I can take your word for it. I've I've interviewed Amy Blacker. She's the surfing expert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's in, um, no, I think for me, like getting out of rugby and having surfing, um, I know we spoke about it before with that adrenaline seeking. Um, for me, that ticks so many boxes because I get that adrenaline seeking, that activity, um, but also it's a really good space to think. It's just a very good chill out zone mm, um, you know you that. get the noise of the waves and the um what is it uh that cadence of, and the tempo of the waves and how that's relaxing um but i just i can't speak highly enough about it mainly because i love it so much but um from you know a secondhand ot's mind it just ticks so many boxes yeah i mean that's like the episode i did with amy that's that's why she started a practice in the surf, like surfing the spectrum. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of it. Um, and that's, again, yeah. like I I live in a place and always have where there's no waves. So surfing isn't really a thing that was ever on my radar um, until I moved yeah. to the Gold Coast. I think when I moved to the – or not when I moved there, but when I worked on the Gold Coast was the first time I'd ever even really like seen surfing in person. Uh, and I was, well, I was already – how old was I then? 24, 25 or something before I'd even seen it. So, but I, like, I have family members that surf and, like, my brother was into it for a while and that kind of stuff because he lived down where there was actually waves. Um, And I I can definitely appreciate from their descriptions and and even how you just described it then exactly what the potential and what people can get out of an activity like that. And, and again, talking to Amy uh, in the podcast and her sort of describing the, I guess, the, the more scientific aspect of it with regards to sensory modulation and and the different pressures and stuff of doing the different movements uh it's definitely a it's a very unique uh like full body not even just physically but like you described mentally uh thick activity so yeah 100 percent can can understand (laughs) what you're saying even though i've never done it so i don't think there's too many activities that would 
really encompass as much as it does. Not, mm. not that I can think of off the top of my head anyway. Yeah, I suppose that's the only trouble with it in, in that um, it's not accessible to everyone. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, I don't know, it would be an interesting study, I guess, to see what people up this way would, that would be sort of give a similar uh, effect as surfing yeah. does to, to people down south. I don't know, so mm. probably not much. <laughs> awesome. So if people are looking yeah. for more information around Sense or looking to, to check you out, where can they find you guys? So we've just redone our website. It's www.senserugby.com.au. Um, we were on Facebook and Instagram as well, just uh, at Sense Rugby. Um, and then my personal one's just at Jay Parahi. So, um, yeah, if you want to give us a follow and show some love, then we're, <laughs> we're always all for it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll throw links in the, in the show notes to, to those. As always, always a pleasure, man. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed getting into the weeds of your transition. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, it was good chatting and, yeah, always um, always happy to have a chat. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. 